Max Hemkin. I'm Patrick Lubbock. And this is episode 11 of Rewatch Podcast. This week we're watching episode 11 of Lost, whatever the case may be. <laughs> it's, a pun. It? it's a pun because the episode is about a case. Although we can't make fun of that pun too much because we didn't realize it till this, yeah. this rewatch. <laughs> I saw it. Uh, I noticed the pun last night uh, in the title as I was like looking for the episode on Netflix. And you just caught it, I think. I just caught it as I was looking up like trivia for the episode. And I was like, the case. Ah. Like It's funny because... Uh, it's a it's a Michael Giacchino esque pun. Giacchino. It's a Giacchino. Michael Giacchino esque pun. It, it really is. Like again, go look at any of even his all of his lost ones are. I mean, well, the one I was thinking of we can't say because it, it's a spoiler. But anyway, yeah. Yeah, his <laughs> his stuff is all is all full of puns. Um, all right, so let's you see. Said, what are we? You said you had some you wanted to talk about. Yes, I have some. I have some important video game things to discuss. But uh-huh. uh, let's. We should say what our guest. Our guest is this week. It's a really cool guest. Yeah, um, this week we have Stephen Christopher Parker, who is the writer producer of Lost the Musical, which, uh, as you listen to this, uh, will have started its run in Los Angeles. Um, it goes through. Got it pulled up here. Um, da, 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 October twenty sixth. Uh, it is at the. Lillian Theater uh, in Hollywood goes for a, f- a full six weeks. Um, the their preview shows and the opening nights are happening um, uh, pretty soon. So it's uh, it sounds really neat. It's made by a bunch of fans. Uh, they in the interview they uh, allude to me that you know they've tried to write it in a way that it'll be fun if you haven't seen the show. But obviously, people who have seen the show will get uh, the most out of it. Um, Am I setting up the interview right now, or am I just teasing it? No, we're just teasing it. Okay, all right. We're, then pros. I'll, all right. we're pros. Okay, all right. We're it's, pros. it's always good to, for me to ask that question in the middle of recording it. So yeah, yeah I'll set it up more later. But yeah, okay. It's cool. uh, it's a neat thing. Was it? Do we do we have any of the music to play on the podcast? We don't. Oh, okay. Well, that's a thing you won't be hearing on this. Episode. There's a little bit in the interview. Okay. Oh, cool. Okay. So you will be hearing a little bit of it. Yeah. Um, okay. I have been playing a lot of Hearthstone. Yeah. That's the game that I've been mostly playing lately. Um, I've fallen off the Hearthstone. Not because you haven't played it all. Uh, not for any particular reason. Just it's a time investment. There's, games are getting busy in other places, and Hearthstone. Well, the reason I started playing it on iPad was the the hope that I would play it like while I'm watching a show or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you seem to have gotten fairly deep, balls deep into Hearthstone. I am so into this game, and I downloaded uh, on uh, Monday. Uh, or Tuesday, I can't remember. I downloaded. Uh, they put out like like OBS for Mac or OBL. What's it called? The broad, yeah, it's, uh, it's OBS. There, OBS. There, are, yeah. there are two main ways of streaming. There is uh, XSplit, which you have to pay for, mm-hmm. and then OBS was created as a a free open source source alternative. And it just had a Mac version that has a far superior UI that is then going to be recoded back into the Windows version. Oh, cool! Uh, not a surprise that the Mac version would have a better. Uh, it was very. I found it pretty easy to use, and there was like a guide on um, Twitch TV to, to explain how to like put the settings for OBS. So I made a Twitch TV account, and I uh, streamed Hearthstone, and like thirty people watched me play Hearthstone for like an hour. Yeah, and then and people started challenging me and stuff. Oh, so you started playing against people who were actually in your chat? Yeah, which is not exactly fair because they shouldn't be able to see what cards I have. <laughs> but whatever, they were all cheating. All the ones who beat me were cheating. Uh, it was so fun. Oh my god. It's stream- streaming is like it, it, I actually prefer the smaller crowd because then you actually can like chat with the people mm-hmm. that like you know I mean you know it's it's awesome at Giant Bomb you know when you get the thousands of people and stuff like that but when you have just a small community of folks that you can 
it's really neat. Like that's like I think that's the value of of streaming games for folks that don't have like large followings. It's mm-hmm. just that. Random people will just kind of watch stuff on Twitch, and if you're like an interesting person on like any level, like some people will stick around, and that stuff's really fun. It was so fun. It really made me see what is going on with like all the consoles, with like the streaming stuff, and it, it just it really like I I didn't understand who all that stuff was for, or why Amazon bought Twitch. Yeah, right. Well, I I do understand that just because of views. I mean, Amazon likes things that a lot of people are doing, and a lot of lot a lot a lot of people. But it's are a long Twitch. game, right? Like the yeah. streaming stuff is just kind of getting off the ground now. It's just in these consoles, yeah. like monetization, how people make money on that stuff is all just happening now. But it's uh, yeah, it's it's a super interesting thing to do. The, I'm curious is that with Hearthstone specifically. Uh-huh. So one of the things I had heard, um, and this is when the game first rolled out. Maybe it's changed with balances and the expansion, was that. Once you hit high-level stuff, it feels a little too random. And as someone that is really into card games, I felt like you would hit that ceiling maybe faster than, than I would ever notice. I, I think the design, the game design of Hearthstone is completely brilliant. It's like the first uh, collectible card game type game I've, I've actually ever been into this much. But like Magic is the closest thing, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm way more into this than I was Magic. But... Um, you know, so there there is a relatively small card pool. Like, it feels like you're getting... If you start playing Hearthstone now, what's fun about it is, like, it feels like you're getting in on the ground floor and you can, like, get a bird's-eye view of all the cards and you can see what the whole ecosystem of the game looks like. And it's like, by within a, a couple turns of playing against a good player, I can generally get a read of, like, okay, I basically know what's in their deck. Like, I kind of understand what they're going for here. Which is fun. Like, you never get that playing Magic unless you're doing a draft or somewhere where you get to see all the pool of, of cards of people. So it's just that other card games just have so many card options that yeah. you, it's really hard. You have There's, to play hundreds of hours to wrap your mind around all the viable strategies. Exactly, exactly. And and Hearthstone just feels like it's more fresh. Like, you're, you're in at the beginning of this thing. Um, and it also, like, it's procedurally, it's super... It, the stuff they can do because it's a computer game, it's super exciting. It's like the first computer card game I've ever seen that really uses that. So it uses things like creatures take damage and their damage stays with them. There are random effects where it's like it could deal damage to, you know, three random creatures or something like that. The position of your creatures on the board really affects everything. Um, and the computer does all of the work to calculate that. Like, those would be really annoying things to figure out if they were real cards. That's what it seems like. It's able to add what would be complicated mechanics to display and keep track of on a board that are ultimately fairly simple when they're handled by, like, a a nice UI. Yep. And the other thing is, like, I have always thought that digital card games were one of the all-time, like, stupidest things, and everyone's working on it, like Mojang... It's, it was doing scrolls. I don't know where that where that is with the now that they're got bought by Microsoft. But uh, there's like the Ascension guys are doing this digital card game. Everyone's trying to make a digital card game. Magic has been moving towards a digital card game for years. It's, it's cheaper, and you can be on devices. It's cheaper to produce because obviously yep. there's no paper involved. You're well aware of how that stuff works. Yep. And then it's on devices. People are using everywhere. But it, I have to imagine as someone that you like physical stuff that the loss of physical seems like you lose something in the process is yeah, that and also like it's fun it's very satisfying i have really good memories of like opening a pack of cards and you see what you get and you think of all the possibilities and hearthstone is the first one of these i've seen where it's like really juicy and exciting to open cards it, like, it they, like the animation great. is yeah. like really exciting yeah like, as they roll over you're psyched to to see what's actually inside and also like the way they dole out the the gold so that if you're not spending money on the game i, I have spent i probably spent maybe Less than a hundred bucks. I probably spent like forty, fifty bucks on on cards in Hearthstone, 
Um, but the way they dole out the gold to let you buy the packs, it really feels good, like earning a pack of cards. Like it's, I don't know. They, I'm so impressed by how good that game is. And uh, I just had a whole, I had a whole fun streaming thing. And I, I get, uh, I have to say, it's like not since you were doing the Spelunky stream have I like had that feeling of like this is so fun, like playing this game with other people. It um, makes it, it makes it the experience more fun as yeah. opposed to just like when you've got some spare time and maybe you're just grinding out some gold because you're close to a pack or something like that, but just. Playing with other people, like yeah, maybe there's the cheating aspect, but you know, especially if you play with smaller crowds, you're you're gonna get less of those. those yeah, and, we, and I can always, you know, with Hearthstone, like you can always just like work climb the ladder, and then the people there's a, such a tiny, tiny chance that they would ever know that yeah. you were streaming. Um, all right, well, let's talk about some. Uh, oh, also, uh, so Phil, so I got a PS4. So, so the other video game thing I wanted to say was, uh, so I got a PS4 like on launch. I got one like on launch day. But then I you gave it away. It. Well, so like, so I got really excited. Sony did this amazing press conference where they were showing the carousel of games mm-hmm. and their screens everywhere, and I was like, oh my god, there's all these games I want to play. And then it shipped, and I couldn't play any of those games, or I had already played them on PC, so there was nothing to play on the mm-hmm. PlayStation. And so I just gave it to Phil Tibetoski from Octodad, and they were using it as, like, a dev kit for, for Octodad stuff for a while. And then finally, like, Hohokam came out, and that was the first thing that was PS4 exclusive that I, like, had to play. Yeah. Um, so I played through Hohokam. Have you, have you seen it yet? No. I, I mean, I've, I've seen it. Uh, one of my favorite, if uh, you're a fan of the game, if you go back to uh, not E3 this year, but E3 last year, hmm. Conan O'Brien always does yep. a lengthy E3 tour, and he got the centerpiece of the E3 thing is like weirdly enough Hohokam and he just there's like amazing bit where I think he's talking to Major Nelson from Microsoft yep. and then just starts dreaming about the camera Hohokam. pans up and then you see a little thought bubble and it's just so Hohokam. so funny yep yeah man all the Conan plays video game stuff is really on point and he I was think right it's... next to me while he, they were shooting the beginning of their E3 stuff this year I was Nintendo was our first appointment um, and he went over to play Hyrule Warriors for the Wii U, and I just see this enormous crowd screaming and laughing next to me, and I just turn over and just see this en- this, en- this enormous orange man walking around. <laughs> and he was filming one of the bits. You couldn't, you could, if they had painted their camera just a little bit to the left, you would have been able to see me in their uh, shot. But I didn't, I didn't quite make it in. Uh, so welcome. I, pl- I beat it in like six or seven hours. Unbelievable. Like that's gonna that goes in the ranks for me of like top top 10 or 20 video games that I've ever played. I, so I really want to play it. Fun it's, and beautiful. it's a game I've been saving for, well, it's like a really bright and cheery game, but mm-hmm. like, I like to save games like that for like a, like a stormy night and I pour a little bit of whiskey and then I just got to just enjoy a world. Yes. And like, it feels like that sort of game. So even though I've got so many other things I have to play for work, mm-hmm. rather than forcing my time into Hohokam, it's like, well, I'll wait for that night, like in the fall, like it's a little chilly and I'll pour a, gla- a, a drink and then just enjoy myself. And yeah, it's it's not the biggest game, but it's such a gem. Like every, there was really no moments of like tedium or boredom, like everything, there's no grind in that game. Even like, you know, what you could say for like the puzzles or whatever, like it's pretty chill, like it's nothing is that hard, but it's really just like soaking in the world, like seeing all the, like the amount of art in that game is ridiculous. Like, yeah. It, that is just a crazy, beautiful, amazing game. Anyway, it was super in my wheelhouse, and I loved it. And then now I'm playing Transistor uh, on PS4, and that's uh, that game is so good. Oh, my well, I God. I, I did not care for it. You did not like it? Nope. When, what, did you like Bastion? I loved Bastion. But did not, did not, uh, I think the, I could not follow the story at all. 
Interesting. Um, okay. In or in, in the resolution, you get to it. Just I, I didn't. I, I just didn't find it particularly satisfying. I think the combat is clever. I don't think it works. Okay. I think it's more clever than functional. Huh. Um, uh, Did you, can I ask you a question? Did uh-huh. you take all of the? You know how you can do the? I don't know what they're called. The like bonuses to the enemies where you get XP and stuff. Yeah. Did you turn those on? A little bit. I think I turned one or two of them on. I didn't go like full whole hog into it. So I really started having fun with the game when I turned all of them on. I could see that. I could see that being a case of the combat making more sense when they really force you to have to consider everything that you're doing, mm-hmm. which you don't have to do as much on if you don't turn those those triggers on. Yeah. I, I just it didn't 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 grip me. Uh, I loved Bastion, but it transistors just didn't. Did you, did it's beautiful. Like... I got I listen to the soundtrack when I work all the time. Okay. Uh, like all, all the aesthetic parts of it are are just as yeah. good as, as anything. Uh, the else. art direction in that game is unbelievable. Yeah. Like that might be like the prettiest game I think for me since like Journey. And then the, there's the little thing where you can just sit and, and hum. Mm-hmm. And I do that all the time. Uh, I'm not done with it yet, but like I stop all the time. And, like, I, I love and games and, like, that have like what amount to mechanically useless buttons, but mm-hmm. are just because there's there's only so much real, real estate on a controller. So to dedicate yeah. a button to like an, an immersive quality, I always like the Metro series does that really well. There's one of the buttons that wipes your screen off when you or your you have you wear a gas mask in that game a lot of the time so you have to wipe it off with this button it's like you have this entire controller and you've dedicated an entire button to wiping your mask off it's like i fucking love that that's that's really cool i really i really love stuff like that so that part of it i would constantly kind of just sit there like i'd get a text message and i just sit there and hold the hum button while i'm responding so all right anyway follow up Mm mm-hmm Okay, uh, so Drew wrote in. We were wondering. Um, uh, I think we were wondering last week. Like, oh, we should, hold on before we get. Uh, so we haven't gotten any explicit uh, remarks about it, but we would have to deeply apologize if you ended up listening to last week's episode and had anything spoiled for you. Oh, yep, yep, yep. We uh, Max thought he had caught everything. There were a couple things that got through. Most people that pointed it out had already. The vast majority of people that are watch listening to this, we know are, uh, you know, have already watched the show, already know what's going to happen. But a because it's more interesting to talk about the show without jumping to how it affects subsequent seasons. Um, you know, we know there are some folks that are watching it, you know, pure. So um, hopefully, you would think uh, that a interview with a lost spoiler site might have some spoilers. But <laughs> if 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 you didn't and and we screwed something up for you, you know, that's we're really sorry about that. We uh, so there was uh, specifically uh, 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 Andy from Dark UFO mentioned uh, a big spoiler about season three um, in the interview last week, and I I thought I caught everything, but that one just slipped through. So I've I've since edited the audio file to just cut that section out. But I know it, uh, a couple people who were already familiar with the spoiler wrote in and and uh, warned us about it. So thank you everyone for the heads up, and and sorry we uh, we let that one get through without a warning. Um, so last week we were, we were also wondering, like, does anyone actually listen to this show who is spoiler sensitive, who's like seeing it for the first time? Um, but, uh, we got an email from Drew who said, per your request on last week's episode, I'm dropping this friendly letter to inform you that I am that guy who is a first time viewer of Lost who also skips the spoiler chat at the end of every episode. In fact, not only do I skip the spoiler chat, but I also pause each episode right before the spoiler chat starts and keep them on my phone with the idea that one day I will come back and listen in on your musings when I finish the series. Which That's really man, awesome. Drew, it's very flattering, but Drew is going to be so disappointed because if you do listen to our spoiler <laughs> chat, it's like it's all it is is like Patrick and I go, yeah, it's, it's like Patrick and I, there's long stretches of silence and Patrick and I just sit there going like, wait, how did this thing work? And then we get mad and we're like, I don't think they ever explained it. And, and then, then someone writes in like, yeah, they did. Like, they did explain that, yeah. 
It's total amateur hour. Uh, so well, it will Drew will finish it, know everything that happened, and then go back and be like these fucking idiots. Yeah, Drew, Drew, email us back when you hear the spoiler chat and let us know how disappointed you are because it's <laughs> uh, it's pretty sorry for two uh, people who are as big a Lost fans as we are how how little we wind up remembering about the show. Uh, you want to do the next one? Sure. Uh, Tom says when the series came to an end, my co-host Brian and I put together an <clears> article titled "Lost Explained," sort of explaining everything, just about every mystery we could think of, and answering a ton of real fan questions. Also, keep in mind there's a bit of bitter sarcasm towards some of the more ridiculous questions and unwarranted outrage after the show's conclusion. Uh, so then there's a link in there that we'll put into uh, the show notes So if you want to read through that. But uh, that's one of the things that uh, hap- was one of the reactions to the backlash of the, the finale of the show. Not so much to what actually occurs at the end of the show, more broadly speaking, what the show chose to, to not explain or, or give answers to. And one of the things that if you do your research, you know, you, some of it could be considered retconning, some of it could be considered not necessarily explicit storytelling by uh, the writers and creators, but the show broadly addresses most of what you would want to have answered, and not that there aren't things the show didn't get to, you know, outrigger without explaining what that is, like, you know, is one of those things, but uh, these guys prove out that most of what you want to know is is either inferred or or given a sense of what it actually was, and um, the idea that the show at the end was just going to spend an hour going, let's have a Q&A session. Uh, you know, like it just wasn't going to happen. That's Wait, not how storytelling works. The, the, the in case Lost got canceled thing? No. So there was, a, I don't know if this is apocryphal or what, but in the writer, I, the story I heard is like somewhere in the writer's room or whatever in the office, there was this case and it was like in case of emergency, like in case they get canceled, break glass. And inside was like a script where it's like, I think it was like a talking psychic monkey comes out and explains, like just like sits in front of the camera and explains all the answers to lost. I think, I believe that was, I think I read that. I don't know if that was like just a crazy anecdote or if they really had something like that. But, um, that is what I think people expected out of the finale, but, uh, it was pretty weird, but, or a moment, or a moment in the show that was just sat down and said, here's the writers communicating to you all the things you want to know. And that just, that was never their style. And the couple of times that they were very explicit, it always kind of felt a super, a little bit weird. Yeah. And I I think one thing, like hopefully you take away if you are drew our one listener who hasn't seen the show. If there's one thing you take away from like the way that, that Patrick and I are talking about the rewatch and experiencing the rewatch is like, it's way, this show is way more enjoyable if you care about the characters and the journey of the characters and the sort of like emotional changes of all of the people and the 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 world of the island than if you like specifically obsess over the mysteries because uh, um, that does have a, in my opinion that does have a very satisfying resolution like I think this is a show where it's pretty safe to really invest in the characters and think about them and care about them because they're they're um, there, that's explored and, and, and answered um, really satisfactorily, I think. Um, I also think it's probably extremely difficult to act as fanatical as we all did because it's outside of the context of the show, right? Like you're, yeah. you're rewatching it. It's, I guess theoretically you could load up message board threads and like read along and see right. how things were going. But part of what created that, that backlash was this buildup over six years um, and then that kind of explodes when it's it's over, but that's kind of impossible to replicate, which is, I think, why we've gotten some reader feedback that's along the lines of, hey, started watching the show because you did. I've already sprinted through the rest of it, uh, or they, they had done something where they didn't watch it along uh, when it was airing. 
and by and large, most people said didn't get too hung up on it, right? Yeah. Like they they enjoyed the way it ended. And my guess is that would be the vast majority of people that watch it now, if they like the show, will end up feeling pretty satisfied. You know, maybe not. There's some stuff that wasn't addressed, but that I think removed from obsessing over message board threads and things like that and ARGs and all that stuff, that you just don't have the same investment because you can't have the same investment. Yeah, I'm pretty curious myself to see because I've only seen the, the last few seasons as they aired. I, I never went back and rewatched yeah, never, them. I, I never – I never – I rewatched <coughs> one, two, and three – a decent chunk of times, yep. but have never done a full rewatch of four, five, and six. And and six is the one, you know, for anyone that's seen the show, you can you already know why that would be really interesting to rewatch. I'm def like that's the ser- the season I'm most interested to find out how I respond. Yeah, I, I'm I'm curious to see if I feel like it holds up better now. Yeah. Um, all right, so last piece of follow up, uh, this is from our friend uh, Dan Provost from Studio Neat. Dan noticed um, a really cool thing from um, back in uh, Solitary. Uh, which was a solitary was the Saeed flashback episode. Um, so Dan writes in, uh, I just wanted to point out a cool filmmaking touch I noticed in solitary at the beginning of the first flashback, Saeed is interrogating someone and speaking in Arabic and the show is subtitled. And then the camera slowly frames the shot around Saeed's mouth and does a slight pan. And then Saeed tra- transitions to speaking English. Uh, it happens at about seven minutes and 50 seconds into the episode. Uh, this is this is Dan uh, talking still. Uh, unless I'm totally misinterpreting, this is a subtle and clever way to tell the audience, okay, they're going to be speaking English now, but in the world of the show, they're still speaking Arabic. It's a great way to have their cake and eat it too. They can present the scenes in English for the benefit of the audience and not need to hire a bunch of actors fluent in Arabic without anyone asking, why are all these Iraqis speaking English? And so I, sure enough, I went back and I, I had to watch it again because I was like, is that real? Did they really do that? And I've probably seen that episode 10 times and I never noticed it. And it's so cool the way they do this. It's a really subtle way to address like a tough filmmaking decision yeah. of, of you know knowing what most Western audiences, how they want to watch it. And, and allowing to fulfill the creative desire to acknowledge that these characters should be speaking this way with the realities of how a, a mainstream audience will want to watch it. And like it's, it's, you don't notice it, but then when you do notice it and it's pointed out by Dan, it's really brilliant. Like It's such a subtle technique, and, and it's probably why it's so effective because you don't, you don't even notice it. Yeah, and it's pretty, I mean, it's pretty clever on the part of the showmakers as well just because – like I, I know they were getting pressure from the network about having Jin and Sun not speak English. Like one of the network executives said that the the House of the Rising Sun was the best episode of television they ever read. Um, but uh, it, it, this is a great way to like stay true to Saeed's background and stay true to his character, but also make it work for like network television. And I, I, I it was like a compromise they made. Um, probably, you know, for the sake of this show having like mass appeal and being on network television that I, I never even noticed. So nice, really, really nice piece of filmmaking and uh, really cool. Um, and oh, let me also give a, a little plug to uh, Dan and the Studio Neat. Um, so actually, uh, this is a shame because they have a Kickstarter project that's wrapping up in like 24 hours, but it won't, it'll be done by the time this episode gets posted. But um, Studio Neat makes like these, these, do you know them? They make these mm-hmm. like really amazing Kickstarter projects. So they've launched a bunch of products on Kickstarter mm-hmm. and they make these amazing, beautiful Kickstarter projects and these really, really nice pieces of product design. So the new one, the, the one that's running right now that I backed is, uh, it's called the Simple Syrup Kit and it's just a little kit to make like simple syrup for cocktails in your home. Huh. Um, and it comes with all the like little dinguses you need to make it. So they did the neat ice kit, the the fancy ice cubes. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. 
so nice. And then they're probably their best known uh, for like the glyph and the cosmonaut. And those are just really like, if you're, if you're interested in like product design at all and, and, and just how people like think through this stuff, like those are really remarkably cool products. Um, okay. Yeah. I've seen this cosmonaut before. I've thought of, it's I've the, long thought of t- t- getting rid of a traditional notebook and using my iPad as a as a way of taking notes. I wonder. So what's what's brilliant about the Cosmonaut is like if you've ever used a stylus on an iPad, it's infuriating. Yep. Because the screen's just not made for it. Yeah. Well, you don't have the right resolution to draw with a pen. Like it's not like drawing with a pen on paper to draw with a stylus on an iPad. So they made the Cosmonaut, and it's like a big dry erase marker. It's like a big wide circumference thing, and that feels exactly right because that does. It, it, the iPad has the resolution of drawing on a whiteboard, not of drawing right. on a piece of paper. And like it's the only stylus I, I use on the iPad, and it's it's really really excellent. Huh. Um, okay, so let's do our um, interview. What else should we set up before our uh, interview? Interview uh, with the Lost Musical. This one will have spoilers that cannot be edited out, um, okay. so we'll put a timestamp uh, in the uh, the show notes so that you can skip past it. Um, there is just stuff that we talk about in terms of how they handle condensing six seasons into um, into one uh, two hour or three hour show uh, that just are kind of unavoidable. Uh, the one uh, fun little teaser I'll give uh, about it that uh, isn't spoilery is is that uh, so you know obviously people were uh, split on the ending of Lost so. Uh, in their show, they have written a number of different endings hmm. for the show, uh, and the audience gets to pick which one it is. Um, and so some of them kind of riff on, you know, maybe how fans wanted it to end. Some of them riff on uh, how it actually ended. But it's a, a neat idea in which they're rewriting the show to some capacity and then say, you know what? This is for the fans. You get to choose how uh, the show ends. So, um, yeah, this is an interview with uh, Stephen Christopher Parker, who is one of the writer-producers. Um, and then if you go to... Uh, uh, net slash lost. Uh, you'll get all the information for uh, seeing the show in Los Angeles if you happen to be in that area. Uh, they're hopeful that they're, this will take off and that maybe they can do it in some other cities. Um, but, you know, if, if not, that would be too bad, but it's cool that they're doing it anyway. Uh, you know, Damon Lindelof is apparently aware of the show. They had a friend of a friend kind of alert him. They're having some of uh, the... Cast members from the show uh, actually uh, attend the premiere. Um, I can't name who they are because it's a little too far into the the show. Uh, But uh, there are actors from the show that are going to be there, um, and and some some might float through when uh, you know during its its entire uh, period. But yeah, it's a it's it's a really neat thing. You'll get a taste of the music and the interview. He's not one of the actors, but he does his best to try and give me a sense of what they're doing. The the way they do the music is. they rather than write original music, they have adapted existing like pop songs and then put lost uh, related lyrics over it, and it's it's pretty funny. So cool. uh, that's it. All right, so there are spoilers in the interview, and people, this is free. Where's Drew? Drew, don't listen to this interview. You're gonna get <laughs> spoiled. <laughs> Be careful. All right, uh, so here's our uh, interview with uh, Lost the musical. All right, I'm good to go. Okay, well, let's start from scratch. What is Lost the Musical? Lost the Musical is a parody of TV's greatest television show. It is uh, 121 hours of Lost condensed into a two and a half hour musical. We have 16 actors playing over 60 characters, uh, and it is a homage to our favorite TV show. And so you guys actually raised money on Kickstarter in order to get this going. Like, what? Where did the idea start? And then 
where did you get the idea that this is a crazy thing we should do? And then now we should go to people for money. And then now you actually have to do it in a couple of weeks. So my co-writing partner, Stephen Christopher Parker, is a great friend of mine. He's an actor. Uh, he's been in Juno, Rebound. He was on a, a Disney show called Fishhooks. He was a voice of a shrimp. Uh, he's done countless commercials. And we're good pals. We've known each other for a while. And he's a Lost fan. Loves Lost crazily in love with Lost. He was recently dating a girl who'd never seen Lost. So he watched Lost all again. <laughs> uh, because he had to show his girlfriend. Sure. I recently rewatched Lost All Again, also being a crazy fan, but I watched it chronologically. I'm sure a lot of you and your listeners know of Chronologically Lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And someone recut the entire show in chronological order. So the very first episode is The Man in Black and Alice and Janney. Except episode two is Richard. Huh. It's, and then they, then they do all the flashbacks, uh, including when they went back into the 70s. Then that once the plane crashes, it's just that story. It's just everything on the island. And then the flash sideways, then it happens the flash forwards, and then the flash sideways, they were kind of like an epilogue at the end. Anyway, so I watched the show. So I'm, I'm all into Lost. Everything's happening. And Stephen said to me, I want to write Lost the Musical. Let's just write it and put it on. And I'm like, you know what? I think we can do that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a sitcom writer. I, I know funny. I used to produce musicals in Australia before I moved to L.A. Uh, I love writing. We thought, do we write our original music? Or do we do like Weird Al Yankovic and write parody lyrics to songs that already exist? Right. And I thought we have to go that route because it just makes it funny. If you already know the tune and then you're hearing new words put to it, all related to Lost, it's even funnier than if we just came up with new songs. So Stephen basically wrote the book and I basically wrote the lyrics and then we, you know, we wrote the outline together and then we merged them together. And I was honestly thought to myself, this is going to be a, a large endeavor. This is going to take a long time. Let's take our time. We started in June. We can put this show on maybe, I don't know, February, March, April, 2015. We've got plenty of time. <laughs> and then I'm looking down my calendar and I realize September 22nd is the 10 year anniversary of Lost, of when the pilot aired, of when Oceanic 815 went down. And I'd just been to the Paley uh, Fest where they had a big 10 year anniversary. And I stood up and I asked Damon and Carlton who they shot in the Outrigger. You, and, were, the, you uh, were that guy? I was that guy. Oh, if you've, wow, seen, love- you've seen the video. I, no, well, I'm, I'm, I'm well aware of the, the Outrigger controversy, and I love the fact that you decided to bring that up and probably possibly the last possible public venue that you could. Yes, and I basically gave Damon – told him that I would do, you know, give him sexual favors uh, <laughs> if he gave me the answer, and he considered it because I have an accent, and he made a joke of it, and he said that one day someone would ask this question, and they would say, no, sir, no. Uh, so that was me. I was that guy. Uh, and so I was just lost, lost was on the brain. So then I'm like, oh my God, we have to rush the thing in production. We wrote the whole script in a month. Uh, we did a table read July 2nd. Uh, There's some good notes. We took out a song. We added in a different song. We rearranged a few things. We cut it down because it was like 180 pages. We cut it down to about 140. Uh, then we started auditions. Uh, you know, I had to get myself a Jack, a Kate, a Locke, a Saeed, a Sawyer, everything. Uh, but then also characters get to double up. Because it's no surprise that when one character dies, they can just play another character. Right. So uh, we have an actress, Katie Hotchkiss. She's fantastic. She plays Shannon. When Shannon dies, she plays Juliet. Because once one's gone, you know, the next one comes. Sure. Um, you know, uh, Ben doesn't come to season two. So the actor, Randy Wade Kelly, who's playing Ben, what's he going to do during season one? He plays Vincent the dog. <laughs> and then you've got other people like uh, one of our actors, Ben Birch. He plays Desmond mm-hmm. and Richard. And he also plays uh, Boone. Okay. When Boone, di- Boone dies, then Desmond comes in. But then he, he swaps from Desmond and Richard throughout the rest of the show. Uh, so there's a lot of wig changes and whatnot. Fair enough. Uh, but 
but this is we love lost and we love everything about it and all the stuff we love is in the show and all the stuff we didn't love about lost we tickle you know we sort of poke fun at it uh, in the show and when you need to explain something and it's something really long you just do it in a montage of a song you know <laughs> so when, I was gonna when say, they get... that's that's what i was gonna like my main question was how do you condense six seasons of a show to a two and a half hour show like where, where did you guys start and figure out what's the through line like what is what is the plot thread we need to take out and and make the the constant through uh sort of the beginning to end well you see the variable was the flashbacks. <laughs> so we took out the variable. Basically, our opening number is called Bye Bye Oceanic 815. And it is set to the tune of American Pie. Bye Bye American Pie. So all the characters come out. Bye Bye Oceanic 815. From down under went asunder when the plane fell from the sky. Of course, a thousand miles because the radio died, saying they're looking for us in the wrong place. <laughs> I'm not a singer. I'm a writer-director. They're going to sing it much better than I do. Uh, and every character steps forward and does their flashback, like tells their story hmm. of who they were, why they were on the island, why they were on, in Sydney, tells it in their song. So immediately we've done everybody's flashback in one song. So the show is basically their time on the island. And then act one is seasons one to three. Act two is seasons four to six. So by the end of act one, uh, Charlie's drowning and they sing to him, Charlie, don't stop breathing oh hold God. on to your breath charlie <laughs> so we end act one with don't stop believing and we rewrote it as don't stop breathing uh, that's, that's uh, quality stuff it, it it you know what i don't want to toot my own horn but it's really good <laughs> <laughs> and uh you know how do you explain the dharma initiative how do you explain this the swan the orchid the looking glass how do you explain all of that well you do it in song uh our uh, Al Sawyer, his name's Eric. He, we said it to the tune of "I am the very model of a modern major general" from the Pirates of Penzance, <laughs> and so he sings "I am the very model of a Dharma barracks employee," oh. and he tells you everything you need to know about the Dharma Initiative in one song. Also, when they get off the island, all those flash forwards, uh, the Oceanic Six are off the island. We condense that. That's Bohemian Rhapsody. It's called our off-island Rhapsody, and we condense all that plot into one song. So Jeez. you'll know that what Sun did. You'll know that Hurley went back to the Institute. You know that Saeed uh, was married Nadia and then she died and then he went to work for Ben. Uh, ben kills John Locke. The whole Jeremy Bentham storyline and everything. That's all uh, Jeremy Bentham, Jeremy Bentham, Jeremy Bentham, Jeremy Bentham. <laughs> uh, that's all part of uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. That's impressive. Like, so you. did you, was the musicals where you initially decided that's where we're going to get away with, you know, condensing a lot of plot or was that something that just kind of came up as you started kind of like putting words to the page it was a bit of both it was like the first thing we did was we looked at the outline what do we keep what do we not need you know certain characters just got cut we couldn't fit them in do we really need to show the temple and everything that happens at the temple in season six i don't think so i think we can just talk about it you know uh we have a lot of funny gags where you know we can't it's it's very funny how we adapt it to stage because there's certain things you can't show you can't show arts being blown up, but you can hear it off stage and then see a leg being thrown on stage. That's some things you can do. What happens when the island disappears? How do we do that? Mm. You know, you move, you move to another uh, we, we, we theater location. To the theater. We, go to the, we go to the theater next door. So that's the, yeah, everyone has to get up and walk along. Uh, there's certain tricks like that. And as we were writing it, it was like, well, this is better in song because we can move the storyline along quicker. 
and this is better something that happens off stage and we come back and we tell you that it happened uh but like i said lots of costume changes lots of you know danielle russo uh kaylee metz plays her she also plays anna lucia uh then she plays naomi then she goes on to play yolana uh so lots of stuff going on everyone has different accents everyone keeps the same pants during the show and they just keep changing tops and wigs i mean but how do you you know hopefully you're not leaving out the uh you know, the most dramatic element of season three when we find out the secret of Jack's tattoos. I assume that's a pivotal point in Lost it, the Musical. It, it does get a mention. No one can forget okay. Stranger in a Strange Land, the best <laughs> episode of Lost. I was going to say, whether it's a gag or a plot point, at some point, I don't think you could get away with not mentioning that. Oh, no. Thing, everything is mentioned. Whether or not it's in a fun way or the plot happens or we're just poking fun at it, everything gets a mention. And so you, know, you guys are showing this, uh, or you guys are you're performing this in, in Los Angeles, um, and you guys are starting really soon, right? Just a couple of weeks? So, so we're Hollywood-based, and so we've been rehearsing for about two months now, and we actually open previews September 18, which is eight days from now, uh, and we have four previews, and then our gala premiere opening, the opening night, is Monday the 22nd. And that is the 10-year anniversary. Uh, mainly that's a press and media night. But we also have invited a whole bunch of cast members. And uh, I can tell you that uh, Mr. Friendly, MC Ganey, gave me a call on my phone. He's so excited. He thinks we're a bunch of crazy guys. He's coming to the opening. Uh, Charlotte, Rebecca Mader. We have a friend who knows her. She's coming to check out the opening night. Uh, so we'll have quite a few uh, lost alum at our opening night and hopefully they'll spread the word to the other losties. I know most of the losties are actually filming, you know, Daniel De Kim and Jorge there in uh, Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Michael Emerson's in New York. Uh, Maggie Grace is shooting. We, we got word back from Jeff Fahey and Ken Leong's publicists that they're shooting other, other places, but we are running for six weeks. We're doing 24 shows. So if you are in the Los Angeles area, uh, come on by to the Lillian theater. It's on uh, Santa Monica Boulevard, corner of Vine. And we're going to be doing Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights from September 18th to October 26th. Come check out Lost the Musical. And it, does it kind of blow your mind that you're actually going to have folks that were on the show at the show? Like, that seems uh, like that would kind of weird me out. It kind of blew my mind when Mr. Friendly called me on the phone. <laughs> that was that was kind of blew my mind. You know, hey, I'm coming to the Lost pod. I'm coming to your Lost Musical on the 22nd. Great. Who's this? It's Tom Friendly. I'm like, <gasps> MC. That's like, how he introduced himself? Have- yeah, he, oh, called, that's he, fantastic. He, he introduced himself as Tom Friendly. And I was like, oh, my God, we're going to have to take the boy. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have an actor playing him in the show. And on one scene, he's wearing the fake beard. And one scene, he's not wearing the fake beard. And there's some funny stuff we do with him um, in the show. Uh, so that was kind of blew my mind. And it's like Sam Anderson, he plays Bernard. He's coming to the show. He played Mr. Gorpley on Perfect Strangers. That was what, what made yeah. me want to become a sitcom writer. And so I get to meet him. So that's really good. And just, you know, everybody loves Lost. They don't advertise that they love Lost, but everyone loves Lost. <laughs> or everyone saw Lost or wants to see it again. And I, people say to me, I only watched the first season. I'm like, that's okay. This will save you 90 hours of binge watching. Just come and watch our show. Uh, and whether or not you've seen Lost or not, it's still a funny musical about Castaway Strand on an island. Uh, but the, the thing is, we just need people to know about Lost. So, we, you know, you can follow us on Twitter at Lost the Musical. Uh, and as long as people know about it, I've been getting requests. When are we bringing the show to England? When are we bringing the show to Texas? We had a Brazilian uh, reporter come the other day because uh, Brazil loves Lost and they're doing a big story on the 10th anniversary. Hmm. Uh, but if this, if this show is successful, if we sell out, if there's a demand... Uh, I would love a producer to come and buy the show from us or 
uh, you know, invest some money so we can tour, take it everywhere. Because this show would do great in New York. This show would do great in Hawaii. In the Hawaiian, you know, there's the uh, official Lost 2014 event in Hawaii, which also happens to be on the 22nd, uh, where I think there are about three or 400 people are going there to celebrate Lost. Uh, so Losties around the world unite, and we can take Lost the Musical around the world. And how, how do you feel just, you know, a couple of weeks out? You know, obviously you were mentioning to me that you're, you're wearing a lot of hats, doing a lot of things, but... Like, do you, are you, you excited? Are you terrified? Like what is, what is the, what is the feeling I, like this close? I am super excited. This, it only, it only kicked in yesterday. Uh, I was like, the show will be ready on opening night, but it, there's a lot, a lot of me, me, moving pieces. And, you know, we have this talented cast of 16 people, but we can't afford to pay them, but they're doing it for the love of the show. And we've had a few cast changes and a few people this drop out and a, a couple of people have got weddings in October and I'm getting understudies and, oh my God, will this set be built? And can we really throw a knife in the back of Naomi's head? Because I don't know how we're going to do that prop. Can we just shoot her instead? Uh, you know, there's all these questions going on in my head. And just the other day, you know, uh, we were on, picked up on Twitter because someone went to the Paley fall preview parties and my friend gave him a postcard and, and that was spinning around. And then you contacted me. And then I found out that Bernard was coming to the show, to the opening and I'm getting interviews and um, doing other podcasts. And suddenly people know about the show. We open in eight days. It's, it's, it's super exciting. Uh, I'm going to be in the theater from Saturday, 9 a.m. until Wednesday night, basically sleeping there every night, just rehearsing, taking the show with the cast, you know, it's my job because I don't have a official front of house person. It's my job to get every water bottle that we're going to sell at the concessions <laughs> and slap a Dharma logo on it. You know, everything that you buy at our concession stand is going to be Dharma. Uh, when you actually come to buy tickets, it's going. Our lobby is actually going to be designed like a airline, and it's like you're going to be boarding a plane. Everyone who comes to see the show is actually getting on flight eight one five. The actress who plays Cindy will be taking your tickets and seating you down. So uh, when you come to the show, it'll be like you're boarding an airplane. And then at halftime, when you come to buy a drink or a snack, you'll be buying an Apollo bar or drinking some Dharma beer. That's fantastic. Attention to yeah. detail. That, that's what I think the Lost fans will like the most. Because like I said, anyone who comes to see the show and doesn't know Lost will laugh and enjoy it because it's a funny show. But there is that second layer of Lost jokes. And people who come and see the show are going to have to see it more than once because there's so many little hidden jokes. Uh, also, oh yeah, I, like, I have to ask you about yes. the ending. I assume that's what you were about to to get. I to. was about to. I was about to get to the ending because we all know that not everybody liked the lost ending. I loved it, uh, but there I was myself, other people. I was happy with the island story. I didn't really like how they justified the flash sideways. Sure, uh, but we're ha we have alternate endings. Basically, every night <laughs> at intermission, we're going to offer you three different endings, and the audience gets to vote. Uh, fill out a card, and whichever card had the most votes that night will be that ending. So uh, there are three different scenes, and you know, if you come one night, you might see a different ending to if you see the next night. Are they serious takes on what the other endings could have been, or are they sort of like you know alternate cut kind of jokey stuff? More the latter. They're okay. more alternate jokey. I mean, they answer certain questions, and each different ending we answer questions that either were answered later or if we didn't get an answer we made up an answer <laughs> did so you, we just you answer who was in who was shooting from the, the outrigger outrigger uh, that is in one of the alternate answers <laughs> we do answer that question in one of the alternate answers. i mean i have my own theory on what was going on there in terms of 
They didn't write it in time. They had an idea by season six, but by that time, Elizabeth Mitchell was shooting V. They didn't have the actors ready to go. So whatever they say, whatever Damon says, I'm sure it was more of a logistical reason behind why they didn't show that. Not there. We just decided it would be better if we didn't show it. Yeah, come on. Pull the other leg. Didn't they, wasn't the answer that he gave you something along the lines of like they would disclose it at some point for charity or something? They, like they that? said they'd had, they had the page written and they decided not to show it. And one day they will donate that page to charity or someone can buy it for charity. Um, but many, many years from now. Um, Damon and Carlton, they know about the show. I actually met Carlton at Comic-Con. Oh, cool. Gave, I gave him a postcard. He seemed honored and flattered that we were doing a musical. He's such a great guy, Damon. Uh, both of them are. Uh, but Carlton, I know he's shooting an Amazon pilot uh, on the day of the opening, so he won't be there. And then one of our cast members, uh, his father knows Damon and sent him our poster. And Damon said that he was uh, terrified yet intrigued about the <laughs> idea of a lost musical. And I really hope he comes to see the show because we love him and we love the show. And this is not a jab in any way. This is, uh, we, we honor him and the show by putting it on as a musical. Awesome. Well, it, so it starts September 22nd, correct? Uh, the previews are September 18th, oh, September 18th. Uh, and then the opening is September 22, and then we're basically running Thursdays to Sundays uh, up until October 26th. Awesome. Well, good luck uh, to you uh, all all involved. You seem to have a lot of work ahead of you, but at least at least you're in good spirits as you go towards uh, the finish line, and it seems like a lot of people are excited, and I wish I could be there myself, so hopefully uh, you guys do well, and then you can come out to Chicago sometime. Definitely. That's on up. Chicago is a big theater town. We want to tour to Chicago. <laughs> All right. Well, Stephen, thanks so much for your time. And uh, thanks, good luck. Patrick. Namaste. We'll see you back on the island. <laughs> Take care. Uh, so thanks to uh, Stephen Christopher Parker for his time. And uh, if uh, if anyone uh, who's listening to this ends up attending the show, make sure and write in and let us know how it is. Uh, I wish I had a chance to go see it, but it is in the middle of video games hot season. So getting uh, getting out to L.A. is not not really going to work. Um but, uh, yeah, I like the idea of interviews if they're spoiler or not. Instead of it's like, if it's spoilers, like, is this Drew friendly? I feel like that's, we'll just, hey, Drew, you can listen to this. Okay. This is not Drew, Drew friendly. Drew is our one listener who, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it, he might be our one listener, or at least we'll use him as our, as our conduit for, for it. But, like, hey, this is not Drew friendly. And, like, right. you, know what it, you know what we mean. All right. Well, let's, um, let's talk about this episode, uh, whatever the case may be. I don't have a ton to say about this episode. Um, not my favorite episode of Lost, I guess. I will say that while I was watching this uh, last night with my wife, Katie, like five minutes and goes, oh, Max is going to hate this episode. Yeah, like- <laughs> I really I really just – I really don't like it. Um, so let's see. So let's do the – let's get the Kate. I think the main story – one of the reasons I don't like this one, I think, is it's almost all about just the A story. It's all about the, the Sawyer, Kate, Jack uh, story with the, with the case and then Kate's back. Uh, um, flashback. Um, so basically, let's see. So uh, Kate is uh, gathering uh, fruit, and uh, uh, Sawyer's like like uh, stalking her. And they find this a spring, and they go swimming in it. And uh, Kate takes her pants off to go swimming, uh, which they spend a lot of time on in the episode. They do. There are multiple shots of of her swimming up, and you getting some full on. Shots, so yeah. way to way to go, Lost. Yeah, a lot of uh, Kate not wearing any pants uh, in the first uh, part of this episode, um, uh, and then uh, they find some bodies down there, and um, the Kate finds this case, and uh, Sawyer gets the case, and then she spends the whole episode. Well, there's the, there's the, there's very specifically a conversation between Sawyer and Kate in which it's very odd because Kate 
asked for Sawyer's help in getting the case because she says it's hers. Mm -hmm. And then they get out of the water, and Sawyer says, like, well, what's in the case? Why is it important to you? And she's like, I I don't care. And he's like, so I can just take it? She's like, yeah. So wait, none of the, this is not logically consistent at all. Like they need to set up a conflict, but the way they set up the conflict doesn't make any well, sense. Well, maybe it's to, to yeah, I can't believe I'm defending this, but maybe it's like it's setting up that Kate's really emotional and she's not thinking clearly and she'll go to like extreme measure. Talk. She has some emotional attachment to what's in this case and she'll do she'll she'll she's not thinking clearly. She'll do anything I guess to get so. the case. It just seemed like a, like there were probably stronger ways to like you could have just said Sawyer be a dick, yeah. but instead which is they own, set up Kate to be an idiot, which is its own problem because with Kate's character because she's super smart and she's really good at getting what she wants and playing people. Anyway, they well, all what what they end up doing with Kate's character that it's that's really unfortunate is that they spend a lot of time setting her up as like a very strong, powerful woman, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and that then they cripple her character with a bunch of narrative tropes that she's emotionally weak at the knees and that she's unable to like take care of herself because she can't just she just can't get over this guy right like that's right. that's a that's a shitty like character trait to she, give when to the, her. when the show needs her to be for convenience she's like a stone cold killer yeah. she's like a ruthless uh uh planner and she's a, a con woman and she's she a tracker she, because right. her dad was in the army yeah it's like she she has those abilities and then also like the show is constantly using her as like the, you know damsel in distress and someone has to go rescue her or the the whole plot hinges on like who she she's gonna be in love with or like it, yeah it, it's like it doesn't feel true to the same character who like plans a bank robbery and like executes the fellow uh, right robbers, and it's like a terrific like, actress during this like it just yeah they're they're counteracting character traits that right are more to serve this character this like this love triangle than yeah. it is as and a I service to her see, as a character. I can already say see the writers being like, oh, that makes her character deep. Like she's got all these contradictions. No, it doesn't. It's a she has no point of view on her character. Like that's the problem with broadly the problem with Kate. I, I think that will, that like compounds and gets worse as loss goes, which is why I have I already have such like bad feelings about it. Is like she's not a complicated character. She's like a one note character wherever that note is needed. And they never commit. Like, I, like I, you know, there's so many, like, like Hurley, Locke, uh, uh, Jin and Son, like, there's Michael. There's so many characters, so like, I could say all of these adjectives to describe them and tell you what they're like. And you get a great comedy out of them because you put them in situations and you know that they're, how they're going to react to it. And, like, the, the show never gives that to Kate. It, it, there's never that set of characteristics of, like, this is clearly the point of view on her character and clearly who she is and... You know, these are the situations that are going to challenge her. This is when it'll be funny for her to walk in the room. Like she's just, she never feels like a full character, and she has, she's just always the 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 one thing that they need in in any situation. I don't know. Yeah, and I just felt like this this you know we are we feel this way because you end up seeing this play out dozens of times over the course of the series. But this is, I think, the first episode, especially because after two kind of mythology, not heavy, but there are like big mythology things that happen that are setting the stage for the, the latter half of the season. All of that stuff takes an extreme backseat for uh, two of the weaker elements of the entire show, which is that, that love dynamic between Sawyer, Jack, and Kate, and uh, Kate's backstory and the contradictions that, that hurt her online or on-island persona. So, okay, so let's talk about the Kate backstory and then, I guess, the resolution of the case. So, like, the backstory is Kate's uh, getting uh, – she walks into a bank and she's get, trying to get a loan. 
and uh, the bank uh, bank robbers come in and they uh, set up this bank robbery and then it turns out that Kate is in on the robbery and she kills the other robbers and she makes the manager of the bank like open up the safe deposit box and she gets this mysterious envelope out and then uh, later you learn that, that that's what's in the case is the mysterious envelope and uh, as well as a bunch of handguns and uh, what else was in there? I think there was some other some other junk in there. Yeah. Some ammo. Yeah. What else was in there? Uh, well, there's a little plane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kate's little plane. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and like th- that whole sequence in the in the bank, and not to go back to criticizing Kate's character again, but like yeah. there, that's where they use the the damsel in distress stereotype like incredibly effectively, right? right. Where you this seems like this flashback flashback might take place before. Uh, Kate has, you know, gone into sort of a maybe not a life of crime, but she's obviously engaged in some shadier activities. Yep. And the fact that when they have that turn in the back room with the guy that she starts making out with, like it does establish her as this character that gets what she wants. Like the whole bank bank sequence does that beautifully, I think. And then it's just all the on island stuff that I ends would say up, it does it. I don't think it does it beautifully. Well, if, for lost. That's like one of the one of the most like cliche. I know action movie. First of all, you 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 go to a bank, right? Uh-huh. Does your bank look like that? No. Have you ever been to like I was thinking about this. Like why every bank robbery, mm-hmm. it's always in these big banks and there's like vaults and all this stuff. Like I've been to a lot of banks. I've never been to a bank that looks <laughs> anything like a bank from a bank robbery scene in a TV show. Like it's always like shitty like Do bank paint. robberies even still happen? Oh yeah. But where? Like like small like, town banks, yeah. Like a, it's someone be, goes like, into a Bank of America and they get a bunch of, yeah, sure. Bank okay. bank robberies happen all the time. How? Like, how? how they uh, they're it? not good. I mean, they there. There's not a lot of stuff in banks anymore, right? There because it's like you go into like a PNC branch and you're like, give me you know whatever a thousand dollars and twenties or whatever you have here. Hmm. I don't know. It, write in if you work at a bank and explain bank robberies <laughs> to us. <laughs> Let us know how we could rob a bank. Yeah. That's what we need. Uh, okay, maybe not beautifully is too strong a word, but at yeah. least sets her character up in a way that right. she's empowered, right? Well, and you know, and what's interesting is like, I, I do like that you're. it's starting to add a little bit of layer to the chronology of Kate because it's like, you're thinking like, as this is going on, I remember thinking like, oh, I guess this is why she's a fugitive is like she did this crazy bank robbery mm-hmm. or something. I thought maybe this would be her origin story as a criminal of like when she, especially when she picks up the gun in the bank to like point it at the criminals and something goes wrong or whatever. But nope, it's like this is just the latest, you know, string of like the plane is clearly already connected to because she says it's from the man I killed. It's already connected to her whole criminal um, past. And And subtly, there's the, um, and the the show does this a lot throughout its run. It's not like a, any big thing, but the when she asked for the, uh, the little personal safe, it's number eight one five, which obviously is a reference to Oceanic eight one five. Oh man, I didn't even catch that. I think it's one of the earlier. Did people flip out online? Do you remember that? No, I, I think because it comes so early and it doesn't happen, uh, there is something else that happens this season that is repeated throughout the series in, in a much more right um, uh, explicit fashion, but. Um, you know, it's something the show does quite a bit of sort of little nods, and it, it's that I think that's one of the earlier nods, and it's just that sort of well, it's in uh, safe eight one five, which obviously right. refers to Oceanic. So that's the that's really the main story. I mean, uh, I don't think there's a lot of like character movement for Jack Sawyer, Kate Sawyer doesn't come off as like quite as much of a dick as the last time they tried to do they did this story where he was had something that everyone wanted. Although two different times they have Sawyer get like. 
really weird and grabbing her and putting himself on top of her or her on top of him. Well, the first time she was like trying to break into his tent or whatever, and then yeah. he pulled her. Yeah, but Sawyer's creepy. I, I know, just, but it's like I didn't hate him as much as I did. Yeah. Well, um, they they were very much because they, they were more playing up that why is Kate being so crazy? Yes. Yeah. So Sawyer kind of like took a rank down because right. Why is Kate doing all this like really yeah. and contradictory the, the nonsense? Dilemma, I, I do. I I mean the big the big hanging thread I think from that whole story is like now there's a bunch of guns and ammo on the island and that's going to really change the power dynamic of of Jack's the one with the key in the case. Yeah. Um. And also the there there was a great scene where where um sawyer's trying to pick the lock and uh oh yeah <laughs> michael and hurley just like laugh at him like yeah you're not gonna open that halliburton like that was really i really enjoyed that and that was really nice storytelling of like like their reactions like i don't know anything about if the halliburton is even a real kind of a case but like their reactions like really sold me on the idea of like yeah he's gonna like i get it why he can't just like open this thing up like, but it also like that scene works in in two ways you get you get that in which you clearly is going to set up what happens with the case which is that he's not going to open it but that he could he can pick locks right it's also like a little more depth to sawyer's character is that okay not only is he someone that uh has obviously been a con artist but he if he can pick any lock then you know what, what else does that say about him and what he's been up to in the past yeah. So the other um, uh, two stories going on in this episode that are far more interesting, uh, in my opinion, is uh, there's the Boone Shannon um, kind of dynamic and then the Rose Charlie uh, kind of dynamic. Um, and happening. the Saeed and Shannon. Yeah, yeah, the Saeed Boone Shannon whole yeah. that whole tangled uh, thing that start that that started unfolding. So. Um, so that was like uh, Shannon b- being continuing to be pretty useless, like tanning herself, and then. Uh, but Saeed... but what, what they what they finally do is that they try and provide some depth to Shannon, which the, the show is largely not touched on at all. Yep. They use Shannon mostly as just like you know a sounding board for Boone, and that she's just this shallow you know comic blonde. relief. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you know you get the one moment where she translates the you know the French woman on the radio, but besides that, she's mostly just there as as for you to laugh at. And then they have that moment early on where Boone says, you know, at least I'm trying to help. Obviously, Boone is at that point lying about what he's doing. They're mm-hmm. not looking for uh, for Claire. But – which also, not as a side, but like no one seems all that concerned about – They've everyone seems to have just been like, well, Claire seems to have been kidnapped. I guess we might as well just move on from that. Like, yeah. It's a little bit weird that everyone's so nonchalant about – Oh, I guess like what are you going to do? I don't know. I guess, but like – there are other people on this. Like, I don't know. Have search parties every day. I don't know. It just struck me as incredibly odd that everyone on the island is kind of like, well, I don't know. I guess Claire's gone. Like, she's fucking pregnant, and a secret dude is now. I don't. It I seems agree. Weird. It's one of those maddening things about like, why don't you care about this? But also like. You have to remember, like, they're like, what's fun about this about the first season to me is like they're they're primarily concerned with survival. survival. Yeah. Like, they don't have. Kate says, "There's everyone's hungry. They're eating a lot. There's not enough food, and mm-hmm. they, we have to go way out to get food." Like, I, I do, I do buy that. They're, yeah. That it's like they can't form a search party because how would they take water and like just do the basic things to like go out and do that? Right. But it just seems like they could have addressed like addressed why they're not doing it as opposed to making that like. You have to infer that. It just seemed a little bit of like, can someone just say why we're not doing this? Right. Like, because as the viewer, you don't get the sense of time and exasperation that maybe right. the, the survivors are happening. Um, no, I, I totally I totally agree with that. And, and later, it continues to be an issue in Lost when you're like, 
something crazy happens. You're like, why aren't you all talking about this? Like, all say, share your, go in a circle and everyone say all the information you know, and you'll fucking figure it out. We know you'll figure it out because we've seen it. Ah, all right. But so, so I guess, you know, back to what I was saying is that uh, Shannon, like, actually feels, like, really bad when Boone points out that you're being yeah. useless. Like, you get a moment where it sinks in and you, it's like, oh, actually, you know, Shannon does care. Like, she does want to do something but ha- clearly has no like it starts to present itself as though Shannon has always been told this her whole life mm-hmm. and then it actually sinks in when she has no other outlet that you know she starts to feel that way too yeah and she and then there's um, a couple of pretty good scenes with Saeed where she's starting to translate Rousseau's map and, and in the end realizes that a lot of the like crazy writing on the map is a song from a children's show Finding um, Nemo oh it's from Finding Nemo? yeah we'll get into that in trivia but yeah it's it's a it's a song from the credits of Finding. Okay, them. you have to explain that to me. All right. Um, so let's see. Um, well, we get we they the, was Finding several... Nemo out. It had to have been. It had to have been. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, so let's see what else uh, with oh and then at the end you see um, uh, Shannon and Saeed kind of um, uh, commiserating with each other and, and working on the map or whatever and uh, and uh, it just sort of pans over to Boone like standing real creepy in the shadows <laughs> yeah. and then he gets all sad and like walks off to Locke and the other thing that was interesting was there was a really ni- a really great cut where there were t- someone was talking I can't remember who now someone was talking about the axe like where's go get where's the axe or mm-hmm. something and then it cuts to um, in the jungle. Boone and Locke and Boone's got the axe and Locke is like did anyone see you and you're like what the hell are they doing out here with this axe yeah we've gotten no resolution or indication what they found but mm-hmm. through the, the the slight teasing which is the, kind of the like the only mythology building that this episode even does is that it is obviously not like wreckage from the plane and why would they need an axe and the the axe is presented uh Compa- uh, relative to, uh, you know, I think Michael telling. Oh, you need the yeah, you, you need, need the axe. The, to, you well, need... he says the axe, which is a great right. little plot thing to say. Like, there's only one of them, and right. then a boom's got it. Right, and yeah. no one knows that. And then it's going to imply that you know you could easily see how this could turn into like who stole the axe? Where's the axe? So there's there's some good groundwork being kind of. Uh, I also laid some, for that. something I I love about this season of uh, of Lost. Oh wait a second, before we do this, Drew. Write us a thing and say what they found in the jungle. I have to know what you think. Write us an email at rewatchpodcast at gmail.com. I really like that being just, can we make that a regular segment? Drew, what is your theory about what's going on? Yeah, I have to know. Tell me what Locke and Boone are doing and what they found. Oh, I, I must know. I really know. like this idea. <clears throat> we got to get Jana back in here too because yep. I have a lot of things I want to ask her about. But uh, one thing I, I was also going to say about, like, this is, I think, specifically a season one thing. Season two continues a little bit of, like, I love their, there's these little objects, and they're almost like icons in Lost of, like, what's happening with the show all represented in objects. So the airplane is one. Mm-hmm. The, the Halliburton case is one. The the guns are one. And the key for the thing. Those are all little, great little objects and symbols. And they're kind of MacGuffins, but... Because they're really, like, things that just put the characters into motion. But, like, you know, the axe is going to be one. Like, the radio is one. The the polar bear is one. Like, there's just these great little, like, things and symbols where it's like you could almost, like, you know, draw the icons of Lost. And mm-hmm. I always loved that. And it gave a lot of significance to, like, them finding a new thing or getting a new tool or something like that. I don't know. Maybe that's... Uh, 
my own my own weird uh, designer like appreciation of the show. I mean, Lost is a a show built on symbolism, right? Yeah. They, you know, sometimes subtly, sometimes hitting you on the nose with it. But it's it is a show where maybe less more er, later on than than early on. But the, the when things are present, they are present for a reason. Yep. Um, and then uh, let's see. There was was there was there there was one other. Oh right, that Charlie Charlie's uh, sad, and uh, Rose tells him to uh, uh, believe in God. Well, there's it's it is an interesting moment where uh, so you have um, Jack, who's a man, you know, man of science, and then you have Locke, who's a man of faith, but his faith is in the island, right? And then you have this sort of other spigot off now with Rose, who you know she, you know, it's not made clear what religion she you know ascribes to, but you know it seems it's implied that it's like you know Catholicism or something like she believes in a traditional God, and she asks God for help to help Charlie or, you know, to find right. Claire. And you do, so you so, do so see... it's actually introduced that there is a character that, you know, has a sort of traditional religious belief. Well, you, you know from Charlie's backstory, too, it opened up with him in the church. So you know right. Charlie's got that, that religious... Right. That's and that's, he, he has a good connection to Rose. Um, that's a, probably a good guess, too, that she's Catholic and that they're both... Because we, we think we're... You, you, Catholics do confession. Not, everyone else doesn't do confession, right? I think it's Catholics, yeah. I mean, I'm going to ask Tommy. Okay. Tommy, Consensus in the office is only Catholics do confession because Protestants uh, think you can confess directly to God. You don't oh. need to go to a priest. Okay. Well, that's convenient. Yeah. So, anyway. Okay. Both. Well, we know Charlie's Catholic, right? Yes. From the flashback. Yeah. I, I, li- I liked that that scene between Rose and Charlie was really well done. I liked I liked their little moments. I liked – I thought it ended <sighs> I, why, maybe I, a little I, ham-fisted. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't like it, and I can't say why because it was actually like – I guess – I don't know. I guess I just don't like Charlie's attitude. Like, I, I don't like that Charlie's, like, all thinking about himself and he's being all sad. And, right. Like, why isn't he going out to do a search? Right. It's all about him as opposed yeah, to... Yeah, I guess it's it's an ugly... We're seeing an ugly part of Charlie's character and that, that maybe that just rubs me the wrong way. And, and um, Rose, I also feel like, is just a bit, bit of, like, they're using her a bit as a bit of a stereotype of, like, you know, this, like... Uh, um, wise old woman who's going to like help Charlie, you know, figure out. Uh, I liked her line though of um, "There's a fine line between faith and denial. It's a little bit better on my side." Yeah, like, I thought that was like because in in some ways she's admitting that like her husband could be dead, right? right? Like, right. but she's choosing to have faith that she's that he's on the island somewhere she, she's um, not crazy she's self-aware but right. she still has this faith yeah right right i, well, I, I mean, really Ro- liked that line rose is a great character and i want to see more of her uh yes. we will as the as the show goes on although Absol- not, absolutely not so much in this season though. not so much in this season and her character kind of pops in and out as the show goes on but it was always they never make her quite a main character mm-hmm. but she's in terms of like the second tier characters like maybe number one like every time she would show up in the show like yeah, like yeah. She's, she's just so heartwarming and like nice and just like oh, it was always always the best. Um, all right, well, let's see. Um, do you, let's do some trivia. Um, and 
Um, I had a good one. I was I, I'm trying to keep up with uh, the historic like or like the archives of the fan sites. So I've been reading like something awful's TVIV from from back in the day when these episodes were originally airing, and I found a great theory um, from from this era of when okay. this was first airing, which is everyone is convinced that Ethan is Rousseau's child, Alex, hmm. because Rousseau keeps talking about her. Where's Alex, my my child, or whatever? And the and that's the, the only pr- evidence we have of. Besides Rousseau, there being another person on the island. Well, like, right, because all of Rousseau's crew died or was murdered by Rousseau. Right. And based on purely just Rousseau's evidence, uh, the only other person we can account for is her right. having a child. Yeah. So Ethan, like, seems to be in his, like, late 20s, maybe. Early I mean, he 30s. seems a little early. Yeah, yeah. He seems a little older, but. So she's been on the island for 16 years, so right. he would have had to have already been born when they came to the island. And then there was a big debate as to whether um, – on the forums, people were having a debate about whether it was possible for Ethan to have been born on the island and, or not. So that was the big – that seemed to be the big uh, – I like that. That's, that's, a, that's a totally reasonable – Yeah. Um, it's kind of elegant, right? It like yeah. takes the big – I would say like two of the bigger mysteries that we know about on the island and, and kind of answers them together in a, in a, in a smart way. All right. So uh, courtesy of Lostpedia, as always, uh, trivia for this episode – uh, this episode marks the first appearance of the second beach camp, um, and related to that, the behind-the-scenes behind reason for the unusual tides that are about to submerge the fuselage was that the actual seasonal tides on the north shore of Oahu would have eventually flooded the shooting site for real, thereby submerging the fuselage set and causing an ecological disaster. Therefore, an in-story reason had to be found for the survivors moving their camp to a different location. Huh. Um, keep that in mind when we get to spoiler chat uh, and then some people did some, some had some interesting theories. Um, okay. This episode marks the departure of J.J. Abrams from showrunning input because I guess he transitioned off to work on Mission Impossible 3. Uh, I'm actually surprised he was actually in this late. I thought he actually ditched uh, earlier than this. Um, and what's showrunning input mean? I mean, he's not just be, like being in the writer's room. Oh, you know, okay. I think that's what that means. This okay. might have been around the time that Carlton Cuse was brought in to okay. essentially replace J.J. Abrams. Um, this is the highest rated episode of Lost First Season uh, with a total of 21.59 million viewers, which is like so many people. Like, Why? even. Oh, you, get, you have a, someone's asking. Yeah. Okay. Um, it also marks the only episode to score the highest rating of a season without being the season. Why was premiere. this episode so highly rated? I have no idea. It's like not that exciting of an episode. No clue. Because usually you would have... Oh, I have a theory. Okay. I wonder if the promo was just like Kate taking off her pants. If it had a lot of like no pants Kate. Slow motion? Maybe. Do you think that's possible? Like they they showed, they promoted like as a Kate episode and they, they showed Kate, you know, swimming and stuff. It's maybe not, you know, the, the creative staff always maintained that one of the reasons uh, for like the Kate, Jack, and Sawyer arc was that it was extremely popular with... Uh, especially the female demographic of, of loss. So maybe it's not, you know, completely crazy to surmise that the reason this was so big was because it was promoted as like a big push for, for those three hmm. characters. So maybe I'm trying to think if there's some reason, I mean, it could have been as stupid as like a big football. Or maybe, game. It came, maybe there was a, you know, maybe there was a, like an early break. Maybe it went away for two weeks mm-hmm. and then it's like, everyone's excited and caught up or something like that. But this is, I don't know. It's it's interesting. I mean, idea. It could have just been like the lead-in was really good. It was like the American yep. Idol finale or yep. something before this. Uh, the underwater scenes were not filmed in Hawaii, but instead in a tank in LA. Huh. Uh, when viewing with English subtitles, the subtitles say the deposit box number is eight fifty, not eight one five. A couple bits that were cut uh, from the script. Um, 
The case would have contained a Snickers bar in addition to other contents. At the end of the episode, Sawyer would have asked Jack what he found in the case, and Jack would have tossed the candy bar to him. Interesting. So it's like still like you know more more. It backs up that the writers are consciously trying to make Sawyer not such a dick. Yeah. Uh, and then Shannon's final conversation with Saeed would have drawn out the revelation of the lyrics's origin slightly longer. Shannon would have described Finding Nemo and then mentioned the movie's cast, and Saeed would have shown no recognition of either time, or at, at either time. Huh. So So it is Finding Nemo. Mm-hmm. Do they play that song at the end of Finding Nemo? I guess, and they must, obviously they play it in English, but that's just the French version. Oh. Um, there is another bit to that that... Uh, thematically cut ties in with loss that I cannot share because it would give away some of what happens. Uh, and that's it. Chat. All right. All right. Well, this was, this was not my favorite episode of lost. And, uh, I have to say, uh, we're, it's a bit of a, a bit of a, a dry stretch, uh, because next week is probably for, for me, the low point of the season. Um, we're, our- we're, we're heading to the middle of like, th- this is how all like uh, 23, 24 episode arcs work is that the middle is a little bit of, spinning your wheels before you can start building towards yeah, the second I half. Think you're like right. we're we're in the thick of that no matter this happens to every show there's always a little bit of spinning your wheels before you can actually set the dominoes in motion to fall over like I think you're right um, cuz the 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 I'm mostly just anticipating getting to see some of the episodes from the second half cuz that's when the show like really just becomes mm-hmm. uh, just next level like craziness um Next week, not part of that, it, uh, in my opinion, at least. Uh, so it's our first Boone uh, episode, and we'll see a, a, a Boone and Shannon flashback. Um, so the episode is called Hearts and Minds. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we will uh, we'll have uh, uh, show have a lot to say about that one and, and why, it, why it falls flat. Yeah. Um, but uh, show notes for this episode, uh, I can't remember. What, what's in the show notes this week? What did we say we were putting uh, in there? So we've got uh, a link to Lost the Musical. Lost well, the Musical. So if you want to buy tickets, we'll have a link to um, Tom and Brian put together that list of Oh, answers. that was it. Yeah, the, that really good list of like lost answers. Yeah, that'll be in the show notes. Um, ba, ba, ba. And probably some other stuff. Yeah, it's probably some other stuff. Those are the two main things. Um, so we will put that uh, uh, at our uh, show notes at rewatchpodcast.com. Um, as always, you can email us your questions or comments at rewatchpodcast at gmail.com. Drew, tell us what they found in the jungle. What is does did Locke find in the jungle? We will have, I guarantee you, I promise you, we will have an answer from Drew on his theories next <laughs> week. Tune in next week to see what Drew thinks. Uh, thanks, as always, to Steve Fobwash Kim for our work. Thanks to Dose One for our theme music. You can check out his work, including his ringtone of the month, at dose1.bandcamp.com. Uh, and uh, from me and Patrick, we will see you next week. Uh, let's do a quick spoiler check because I'm supposed to go to lunch with the new intern. Okay. Um, so uh, one of the, the pieces of trivia that was related to why they – so literally they had to move because the tides were changing and it was mm-hmm. going to wash away the, uh, the set. Mm-hmm. So then this is a little bit of retconning, but mm-hmm. it fits within the mythology of the show. So 
When the first camp is being washed away by the tide, Said describes the tide as changing too quickly. Mm-hmm. This is one of the earliest references in the show to time passing differently on the island. See also time dilation. Interesting. So it's, 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 an, thought... in, it's an instance where it is retconning. Right? Like it's not there because I think they're necessarily thinking of time dilation, but it, it fits within. Or maybe they were, right? Because I guess there was that cut bit from the script where what um, Rousseau's team was researching was time, uh, space and time. Uh, I always felt like the sudden rain was also part of that mystery and yeah. had to do with time, time dilation or changing or whatever. But then Jana, who knows about this, was just like, no, that's just how nature works sometimes. Yeah, but, but uh, I don't think the show presents it in – she probably – she's right. Mm-hmm. But I don't think – I think the show presents it as though it is something mysterious. mysterious. Right. Well, okay. and especially because it might be able to rain at the drop of a hat, but you're not going to be able to predict it. Right, yes. like Locke's able to predict it. That's that's where it gets weird. Yeah. What? Uh, so I, online, when everyone was arguing about whether Ethan could be Rousseau's son, uh, Alex, they were all talking about like, is there some time like maybe people age faster? Was there already some clue in the show about that? Why would they be talking about that? I couldn't figure it out. I don't, I don't want to say it in the thing. Yeah, I don't but. think there could have been any indication. Obviously, that's something that's proved out later. I, I don't. Does the island have to do that, or is that if you're chosen by Jacob, right? Because Richard doesn't age. Like, Richard's hundreds of years old. Oh, I don't remember that whole situation. Um, I don't know if that's exclusive to uh, as a property of the island, or if that's exclusive to Jacob Well, I just wonder, you. was there anything thus far in the show where someone would be like, oh, maybe there's some time travel stuff happening, or some time no, speed they, they, thing No, because they, cu- they cut out the, you know, the reference in the script to, to time that might have tipped you off to that. Um... As far as maybe like in the math equations, right? Like maybe there's something in like that people like did screen captures of the maps that have a bunch of math equations. Maybe people actually translated the French and there are references to hmm. something. Um, maybe it's just like a crazy. It'd be sci-fi too early theory, for like, like the yeah. island moving. We don't learn about that yeah. till the end. Yeah, I mean, of it might just be like a crazy sci-fi theory. Like you know, they're all in purgatory. Like they're all like time is stopped or something. Right. Right. Yeah. That's the only thing I can think of because I don't think the show has made any explicit or imp- I guess it'd be an implicit reference if you're just trying to figure out why people have been here for as long as they've been but we haven't seen any evidence of like you know the the toad statue is much later boy what's, what's no the, Egyptian references what's, what, I, okay I, now I can't even remember what what's the deal with the airplane it's like doesn't Kate I remember when she's a little, there's a flashback when she's a little girl and she's by the tree with the guy and she buries it under the yeah, tree yeah it's, it's they never it's not is it set, just tell me is it I don't not remember. satisfactory is I it? don't think so no, I think okay. it's more just something for Kate to care about. Yes. Okay. Like, and I guess it sets up this character as like, you know, she's very standoffish with, right. you know, Jack and, and Sawyer. So I, I think the conclusion of that arc of her backstory is to imply that she can love and care, but she's been darkened by the fact that she, I can't, she does, she doesn't actually kill him. He gets shot in the process of something right i can't i remember the the death scene it happens in a yeah, car like breaking breaking kate out like getting kate it's in a hospital or something it's like kate gets caught and he frees her but dies or some i think that's like something that. along yeah. those lines to, yeah i don't Lame. know Lame. all right any other i can't there was no other spoiler stuff in this episode right no you know okay. i mean we already talked about the hatch um is the key from the Halliburton thing, the key that Jack puts on the string around his neck, and then when he goes in the hatch, it like it like floats up from the magnets. Oh, I think you might be right. Is that that? I think it's that key, isn't it? I think so. Yeah, but there's also a key that Desmond has around his neck. That's different. Okay. 
Uh, no, no, no. I definitely remember when Jack first goes in the hatch, and you, it's like in the pilot of season or the first episode of yeah. season two. The key floats up. God, one of my other most annoying Kate uh, stories when Kate gets ca- kidnapped by Desmond, and then they spend the it, they 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 literally show Jack just walks around the hatch going, "Where's Kate? Where's Kate?" And they show it from like fifty different angles over the next three episodes, like. It becomes like the mantra of like that's like the the like where's my where they took my boy like, ah, just what? just hor- just awful. Uh, the Finding Nemo connection uh, thematically was that Finding Nemo is about a father going to extreme lengths to get his son back, which was you know potentially alluding to hmm. what Michael eventually does with Walt. But but why? But they didn't do, really do that. It was a sub 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 story plot of season two, and it right. happens off camera. It, like, there are all sorts of things in the show that I think are retconned to be thematically similar, maybe not necessarily actually implied by the creative staff. But boo! All right, so that's all. That's all I've got. There, I don't think there's anything big questions that got raised for me throughout the course of that episode. I think that's. Right, should we say cool. hi to Drew when he listens to this in like eight months? Yeah, hey Drew. Hey Drew. I hope you're listening. I hope this, I hope you liked the ending of the show. <laughs> <laughs>